Welcome to the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton, and I'm joined as always by Adam Grossman. On the show today, Adam sits down with sports industry veteran Tony Schiller. Tony has over 25 years in the sports and entertainment marketing industry with a successful track record of building sustainable marketing platforms and relationships. Adam, can you tell us more about Tony's background? Absolutely. Tony's many strengths include innovation, relationship building, strategic vision, building dynamic, measurable programs, and being results-oriented negotiator, particularly as his role as a senior leader of the Paragon Marketing Group. Most importantly, Tony's always focused on creating and maintaining a healthy culture that promotes trust, open communication, and reliable, enjoyable teamwork. Yeah, and, and that work is extended across many organizations, including Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA, PGA, NASCAR, the NCA, the USOC, and sports properties really all the way from, from Little League up to professional leagues. You know, additionally, he's had an intensive experience in music, entertainment, arts, and, and media marketing. Clients that, that Tony's had in the past include Continental United, Anheuser-Busch, General Mills, Holiday Inn, Sears, Gatorade, One-A-Day Vitamins, Alka-Seltzer, Bayer, Gillette, Sharpie, PNC Bank, Lucent Technologies, Reliant Energy, Giant Eagle, and more. Yeah, it's similar to many of our other uh, recent guests, Tony has experience in the startup world where he advises startups in the area of capital raising, revenue generation, strategic partnerships, and operations. Uh, startups including Pogo Seats, Sports Lock, Game Fitness, Passion, House Roasters, Golf Miles, V-Stream, Fan Funnage, and uh, Triax Technologies have all worked with Tony in the past. You know, Tony has a really interesting background, and it was great that you were able to sit down and speak with him. So please, everyone enjoy Adam's interview with Tony Schiller. Welcome to the Northwestern University Masters of Sports Administration podcast. I'm your host, Adam Horsman. Uh, with me today is Tony Schiller. Tony is the Executive Vice President at Paragon uh, Marketing Group. Uh, he's going to go through more of his background, but first we wanted to welcome Tony. Thank you for joining the podcast, and we look forward to talking to you and having a great conversation. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate being able to engage with you and your students. Yeah, great. Now, Tony, do you... Uh, can you give us a little bit more about your background and how you've gotten into your role today and how you've achieved the success that you've achieved in the sports industry today? Sure, sure. Um, Paragon Marketing Group, we, we position ourselves as an engagement agency. Uh, we believe that it's all about engagement and understanding what people and consumers have an affinity for, and that could be sports or arts or entertainment or music. We help our clients create engagement platforms based on partnerships within the lifestyle affinity world. We've been in business for 24 plus years now. We have two offices, one in Chicago and, and one in the suburbs, um, Skokie, adjacent to Evanston. So probably could walk to Northwestern from our office. Um, we have about 90 plus employees and our, our business really has two components to it. Um, one side of our business is providing consulting services to big brands as they engage in exploring partnership opportunities, helping clients to establish objectives, strategies, and then based on those objectives and strategies, start to target and negotiate marketing platform opportunities. Um, once the deals are in place, start to create activation and execution programs, and then evaluate and assess the efficacy of those investments and make recommendations to grow those partnerships potentially in, in the future. The second side of our business is in content production. Uh, the predominant um, activity within that space is working with ESPN, Paragon, 
produces about 70 to 90 high school games per year. That Those games could be in basketball, football, lacrosse, and baseball, all again broadcast live on, on ESPN. With few exceptions, we are ESPN's primary partner in the high school space, and that space has just been blowing up the last few years, and, and we have some more events that are in the pipeline uh, that we will be announcing shortly. Um, I joined Paragon um, in 2002, um, and I've been a partner uh, ever since. Um, before that, um, and I, actually, I think I'll take you through the start. It's probably yeah. the easiest way. So uh, I was a psychology major um, at the University of Illinois. I put myself through college, bouncing at bars, then, then bartending, and then managing bars. Um, it took me five plus years to graduate. I think having access to, to free booze probably slowed down my <laughs> academic pursuit, um, but it, it did help me finance uh, my education. Um, and I was accepted upon graduation, I was accepted to a grad program in clinical psychology at Loyola, downtown Chicago, and I needed money. So I started to put, put in applications to be a bartender at various locations in the city. And, and at that time, the Chicago theater was going through massive renovations. It almost was closed, and Mayor Daly, who was the mayor of Chicago at the time, saved it, put together a public-private partnership, and put a lot of money into renovating the Chicago theater. So I had the brilliant idea of they must need bartenders, so I applied for a bartending job there. And the same day that I applied, I got a call back saying, we're not ready to hire bartenders, but we're looking for an assistant director of food and beverage would you be interested? And I just thought this is too cool. At the time, it was a very meaningful uh, mo a moment in entertainment for, for Chicago that this venue was going to be saved and was coming back with some huge, huge name acts. And I thought it'd be really cool to be part of it. So I went for the interview, I got the position, and I decided to defer my grad school for a semester. And within about six weeks of working at Chicago Theater in the food and beverage department, the general manager in a staff meeting asked if anyone wanted to be the manager of sponsorship and promotions, which was really a new thing in corporate America. And I raised my hand and said, I'd like that job. And he said, okay, after lunch, because it was right before um, lunch, this meeting, he said, after lunch, come back and we'll talk about your new role. And I'll never forget, Adam, I went down the block to get my lunch. I went to a hot dog stand and got my bag of hot dogs and fries and a Coke. And it's meaningful to me now because, as you probably remember, I'm a vegan. So that literally may have been the last hot dog of my life. But I'm, I'm walking back to the stage door at the Chicago Theater, and I've got my Coke in one hand and, and my bag of dogs and fries in the other hand. And I had an epiphany. I said to myself, I'm now in entertainment marketing, and I'm going to use this job to get into sports marketing. And eventually, I want to be a partner in a sports marketing agency. And it literally was the only pure epi epiphany I think I had in my life. So from that moment on, every job situation, every networking opportunity, every interview opportunity I had, I waited against, is this gonna get me closer or farther to my ultimate goal of being a partner in a sports marketing agency? So I stayed at the Chicago Theater for about two years doing sponsorship and promotions. And I was recruited and took a job at Jam Productions. Jam, as you may know, being a Chicagoan is the major concert promoter in Chicago, and they were one of the few concert promoters nationally that was not swallowed up by Live Nation. 
And I was hired to be the first sponsorship person that Jam had. And I created and sold partnerships across all of Jam's music venues for about two and a half years. And then I was recruited by the Cleveland Cavaliers to go on and, and manage their sponsorships. And the Cavaliers at the time were one of the most old school teams in sports. The basketball side of the business wanted during timeouts to put the ball on the center court and have the arena be silent. No music, no promotions, no cheerleaders, no fan engagement. And I was brought in to innovate and disrupt that culture. And I was there for a couple of years and had a great experience and, and had a lot of fun and really helped impact that culture to be more forward thinking and think more about fan engagement as opposed to purely about basketball wins and losses. And after being there for a couple of years, I was recruited by the Chicago Wolves, the minor league hockey team uh, in Chicago to head up their sales and marketing. And um, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to come home. Uh, I wanted to get back to Chicago and great opportunity to take what I learned in the major leagues and the NBA back then and even today is still one of the best at sharing ideas, sharing success stories, sharing, sharing case studies. So I was very confident that I could take major league strategy apply it to the minor leagues and with minor league pricing I could be very successful and um, that turned out to be true we increased revenues by about 135 percent over the two plus years that I was with the Chicago Wolves and um, about two years into my job there um, I was having lunch with a friend of mine who at the time was director of sponsorship for the Chicago Bulls and they were just coming off their fourth championship and they've got their new shiny building the United Center, I walk into his office and say, how you doing and what's new? And he tells me that, uh, read the piece of paper in front of you. And I'm like, what? And, and he said, I'm resigning. Um, I'm like, you're resigning. You're leaving the Chicago Bulls. You get four rings and, and you get all this. And he said, yeah. He said, um, I want to create my own agency and I, I want to create a culture where people have more control of their work-life balance and have a chance to make more money. And when he said those two things, I thought, I'm going to be part of that. So I wound up joining David, David Brenner, who's my partner now. And we created, at the time, what was Halo Sports. We were a subsidiary of Halo Industries. Um, long story for a different day, Halo wound up going bankrupt, and we wound up buying our division and renaming it, reconstituting a Paragon Marketing Group coming out of um, the bankruptcy transaction. Uh, but we've been in business for 24 years now. Uh, we service clients like Gatorade, and United Airlines and General Mills and PNC Bank and UC Health and ESPN and Nike. We help clients create those sustainable engagement platforms based on the affinities that consumers have. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, we, we also created this amazing dynamic partnership with ESPN where we're presenting high school stars now that are gonna be the stars of the NFL and NBA tomorrow. Um, and, and that's been a really exciting um, part of a business as well. So hopefully that gives you a, a quick overview of how I got to where I'm at now. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. And one of the things that we want to just um, talk about, there's a bunch of things that came out of that that we want to talk about. But the first things first is a lot of our students are maybe less familiar with what work is like at an agency or they want to work at an agency or um, whether it, you know, marketing or experiential marketing, as you were talking about Paragod. Can you just explain kind of your day-to-day -day now uh, in terms of um, what it's, what it's like to work at the agency and what are the responsibilities of an agency and how do the agency kind of functions in the value chain? Well, I, I think in any equation, the most important thing is the value proposition. 
and the value that we bring to our clients, to our current clients, whether it's a PNC Bank or a Gatorade or a Chipotle, the, the value that we bring is we help take these partnerships and make them meaningful and measurable. And we do that through strategy, through activation ideas, through execution, through negotiation, through evaluation, uh, sometimes working with entities like Block6 Analytics as, as a third-party partner. But we give meaning and value to their investments. And in many cases, the big corporations that we work with, they don't either, they don't have the expertise to manage their investments to a point where they're yielding value, or they may have the expertise, but they don't have the time and resources because they're so overly stretched thin that they have 87 things to get done today and they just don't have the time to spend two or three hours talking to the Pittsburgh Steelers for two or three hours today about how we're going to maximize this investment. Um, so, you know, in its most fundamental construct, what we do is, is we ensure that the value proposition is optimized. Um, but we're doing everything from, again, helping clients establish objectives and strategies. It's, it's, it's surprising that there are some companies that are spending millions, if not tens of millions of dollars in sponsorship. And when you ask them, can you articulate what you're trying to achieve? What are your objectives and strategies relative to your sponsorship portfolio? They can't say, or they can, they can tell you the objectives for the partnership with the Broncos, but they can't tell you why they sponsor a sailing event. Um, and we bring a lot of art and science to what we do to ensure that you are defining what you're trying to achieve. You're defining how you're going to measure it. You research the best ways to creatively innovate and activate, and you're activating against those objectives. Um, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot, and I think you've probably heard, heard me say it, is, you know, we're not looking for the big sign in the left field. And what I mean by that is most, most brands that can afford to write that check, if all they're getting out of a partnership is that big sign left field, well, everyone, everyone already knows who Budweiser is or Coca-Cola is. And by the way, those two brands are starting to push back against the teams and properties that, that are selling them signage because that's not something that is meaningful to the fan. Basically what fans want, they want you as a brand, as a sponsor to fuel their passion. I love baseball. I love the Dodgers. What can you give to me because you're a official fill in the blank car, bank, airline of the Dodgers? What can you give to me to fuel that passion? Can you give me experiences, opportunities, content, access? And as an agency, that's what we're thinking about through the lens of the client. What are their objectives? What's authentic for us to offer the fan base, our consumers, that is going to fuel their passion? And they love culinary events or they love fashion or they love basketball, how are we going to give them something they couldn't get in, unless there was the partnership that we've created? So that's a lot of what we do. And can you talk about, um, you know, you, you mentioned in your background that you worked for a lot of teams and a lot of um, sports properties, uh, both at a major professional level and then at the minor league level with the Chicago Wolves. And now you're working with brands a lot of the times. Your, your client is the brands you are working with the team. Right. Can you tell a little bit of what are the differences that you're seeing working on both sides of the equation? So working with the teams, working with the brands, and how, what have you learned working with both, what we'll call the um, 
you know, if you're talking about the buy side with the brands and the sell side with the teams? Well, I think there's been an evolution over the last five to eight years on, on both sides. Um, on the brand side, brands are starting to realize the power of partnerships and they're able to cultivate relationships on almost a one-on-one -on -one basis with their target audience that you really can't do with traditional advertising. And it takes more resource, it takes more expertise, and sometimes, not sometimes, it takes more resource to invest in activation. But again, if, if you can fuel my passion, if you can give me something that I already love, but give me more of it because of your partnership with fill in the blank team or property, that's going to result in a, in a more dynamic relationship with the consumer. And, and brands are starting to get that and they're starting to measure against that. So I, I think the fundamental changes that, that have occurred, evolution of understanding of the power of sponsorship and then evolution of the aspect of analysis and use of data to justify and reinforce these partnerships. So those, those two things, I think in particular, have really helped ex exponentially grow interest in corporate America relative to sponsorships. And then on the team side, teams are realizing that it's not enough anymore to win or lose. It's not enough to put up a big sign in left field. They have to be strategic marketing partners. And a a as you know, in your position as an expert, there's still a, a big variance in terms of how teams engage as a strategic marketing partner. You know, I, I like to call it the P word. A lot, of, a lot of teams throw out the P word, but are they really truly partners? And are they truly trying to create engagement opportunities for their sponsors that are unique and authentic for that client and their brand and their objectives? Or are they just logo slapping as we call it? And, and that promotion could be Coca-Cola or Chevrolet or PNC. And I think we're seeing an evolution of the teams. And, and I think the teams have been somewhat forced by the brands to, to get to that place. But um, it's starting to happen where teams are starting to understand that they have to create meaningful programs, promotions, and content that are customized um, for their various clients. And they're, they're, they're doing a good job of it, doing a good job with digital and social and content, especially during the pandemic um, when they don't have the big sign left field to think about right now. Yeah, we we're definitely want to get into the impact on sponsors have given COVID-19. But before we do that, you know, you've mentioned several times the topic near and dear to my heart and the heart of the class, which is data analytics and measurement. So can you talk about how you're using um, data measure, uh, data-driven decision-making, return on investment, metrics, measurement, how you use that to determine the uh, value of sponsors for your clients? It's a critical part of, of our value proposition, and it's a critical, critical part of investing. You know, we, we always bring it back to sponsorships and investment, and you want your investments to yield value. And the way to do that is to be smart about it on the front end. So as I said before, when we start with any new client and or with any new investment, any new sponsorship, we start with the same question. What are we trying to achieve? What are we trying to achieve and how are we going to measure it? So we have our own evaluation methodology internal to Paragon, and we use qualitative and quantitative variables. We use our expertise. We take in third-party data. But all of that is part of the equation that enables us to say, 
the property is asking for a dollar and our evaluation is this is worth a dollar ten or ninety cents but we're, we're thinking about everything from impressions and exposure to getting sales meetings to closing deals and getting revenue to the reputation that the team has in terms of are they a good partner are they going to strategically engage or are they just going to give you assets and it's going to be up to you what's the fanability of that team in that moment is it a team that has strong avidity and are they winning um more often than losing or is it a team that's just okay so there, there's a whole litany of variables again quantitative and qualitative that we incorporate and then very frequently we engage with third-party agencies to provide their valuations as well to validate what we're presenting and proposing to our clients but it's it's something that's a constant in what we do You've talked, and you and I have talked about this a lot, but you just mentioned a mixture of art and science. So can you talk about how you're, how you look at that, particularly when you're talking about return on investment, the combination of art and science? Well, th th there are some quantitative variables that, that are just black and white. Uh, you know, there's no question the exposure value is what the exposure value is. And 22 minutes of TV time is 22 minutes of TV time. But again, the, the, the impact of an avid fan base, the impact of being a good team or a great team, the impact of having sellouts for four, five, ten years straight. Um, th th there are there are some things that because we have been in the industry for so long, we know the qualitative impact of some of the things that you can't measure, and that that's the art side, um, and you have to be cognizant of both and to understand what has meaning to the fan um and and that that's an art as well so it's more than just wins and losses there are there are some teams like the cleveland browns or my favorite baseball team the chicago cubs who recently they've been winning but historically they're the lovable losers there are some teams like the browns and the cubs and others that have powerful fan bases some of the most avid fan bases in, in sports and you have to be cognizant of that and you have to look at data to understand the the qualitative impact of the quantitative data um so we we like to think about art and science if that makes sense absolutely and the, the cubs are actually a case study we talk about in our classes uh from a lovable losers construct so that's definitely speaking our language again when it comes to that stuff so um the the, the follow-up question to that, though, is, you know, the end user, your clients, whether it's the brands um, that you're working with or in the past with the teams or even with the relationship, how are they looking at data, insights, information? How, and how do you think that's changed since you entered the industry to now in terms of the use of data and quantifiable metrics and driving decision-making? Well, I, I probably should defer to you and have you answer <laughs> that question um, because you're the expert, so I don't know why you're asking me, but you know, what, what I would say is, and you understand this better than me, I, I think that brands are, are struggling to think about how to use the data. Um, most of our clients subscribe to so much data and they're getting data from so many sources and how to harness and synchronize uh, and, and figure out where the actual insights, actionable, excuse me, insights are from all of that data is what I, I think brands are still trying to figure out. You know, I, I think there could be a bit, and again, you, you're the expert, but there could be a little bit of data overload that is 
is avalanching many of our clients. Um, I think teams are probably in, in a similar position. Teams are using data very elegantly and efficiently on the field of play side where they're helping their athletes optimize their performance based on, on data that wasn't available five or 10 years ago. And I think sometimes teams have overly simplified some of the data to positively impact their, their sales presentations. Um, and, and that's understandable to some extent. Um, but I, I think it's definitely a work in progress in general. Yeah, and I think one of the things that has expedited this process is um, the COVID-19, and we wanted to get into that. I know you mentioned that before, but um, what are you seeing the impact of COVID-19 having on um, your business, but also the industry at large? And, you know, there's obviously short-term implications and the right now, but one of the things we want to focus on is maybe the medium-term or long-term. Do you see things and COVID-19 potentially um, accelerating changes that may have been happening or causing changes that were happening in the industry, particularly when it comes to fan engagement? So I'll, I'll try and answer as many of your questions as I can. Yeah, I know. That was a bunch of questions. Piece together. Okay, you can piece it um, yeah. So, um, you know, knock on wood, our, our business, while we've been affected um, in many ways because we're part of the sports and industry, um, our business I would characterize as, as better than okay. Um, we have done everything we can to protect our employees, um, both financially as well as from a safety perspective. We have closed both of our offices. Um, we've been fortunate. We've been able to um, not have any furloughs or layoffs or salary cuts, and we're doing everything we can to maintain that. And again, knock on wood, hopefully that's going to be the case. Um, it's been really, honestly, heartwarming to see our culture really flourish in this time. Um, yes, people are working, uh, but more importantly, they're supporting each other and they're engaging each other as people and as, as person to person rather than coworker. And you, know, you, you, you hope and you think you have a good culture, but sometimes you, you don't know until there's some stress points. Um, and um, really, really pleased to see how we all support each other and work, work together. And yes, there's stress and anxiety and frustration and uncertainty. Um, but in, in general, we're, we're doing fine, to answer your first question. <laughs> um, in terms of, of the industry, um, right now, obviously, not only are the games on hold, but the business relationships are on pause. So and I think you touched on it a little bit earlier. There's a tremendous amount of activity relative to lost value and the negotiations of how that lost value is going to be made good, whether it's with incremental assets or some kind of financial relief, excuse me. But you can't finalize those negotiations until you know the result of the pause. Is the NBA going to come back and resume its regular season or will the NBA come back with some kind of playoff tournament? Same thing for the NHL. When is the Major League Baseball going to come back and counseling how many games will be played? So we're going through on a daily basis multiple scenarios to track and, and measure the lost value and then recalculate what that looks like. And you have different contracts with different teams and, and each contract says something different about how that lost value is going to be treated. So the negotiations vary from contract to contract. 
And Camille, I think that the, again, going back to art and science, the science is how many games and what was missed, but the, the art is the health of the relationship between the sponsor and the team. And I, I think that that comes into the equation. And I think in general, most teams are trying to really invest in relationships right now. And, and, I, and I applaud that and, and appreciate that. Um, so it's, it's a unique exercise that the industry is all going through and we're all going through it. And then in terms of, of the future of the industry, and you touched on it, I think we were already going towards a lot more digital and social activation. And as an industry, teams, sponsors, agencies, we were, we were slowly methodically going in that direction towards more digital and social activation. Now it has to happen today, right now. And, and that's what we're hearing, that's what we're talking about, that's what we're thinking about, is how do we keep that passion fueled when you can't go to the venue? But the reality is that, and this is a little bit of a, dated, a data point, but it holds true, Last I knew, only 8% of the NFL fans would ever get to an NFL game. So 92% of NFL fans were never going to go to a game anyway. So yes, it's important to have fans in the venue for the noise, the energy, the excitement. But the vast majority of us aren't going to that game. We're consuming it via our TV or another device. So how do you take that passion, even though people aren't in the venue. And, and that's what, what I think is paramount of importance to our industry to get to the next iteration of fan engagement. And, and again, people were already working on that. It's, it's not new, but we're seeing new ideas now, new technologies. And I think that that's just going to exponentially increase is to see how we can leverage technology to impact engagement in new and meaningful ways. Yeah, I think Adam Silver recently said that actually it's not even 90 to 8 in the NBA. It's like 99 to 1%. That 1% of the tickets yeah. are, are ones that attend games. And part of what he was talking about is the globalization of the NBA and the NBA's ability to connect with all these fans in different regions because of technology, particularly social and digital. I uh, wanted to get your feedback on that, particularly. Do you think, whether COVID-19 or otherwise, do you see that from your partners looking at maybe things in the past, like domestic league relationships, but seeing those as global opportunities and ways to reach global markets and global customers, leveraging technology and, and personalization of content? Well, if that's what Evan Silver said, then I'm going to agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the beauty of sport is it creates community and it makes people feel part of community. And the beauty of technology is that we can be a part of the same community and I can be in Fresno and you can be in Singapore and we can be watching the same game, cheering for the same team. Exactly. And, 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 and that's, that's our challenge as an industry is how do we leverage community, fan base and technology to give everybody what they want and at times deliver one-to-one -one and at times deliver universe-to-one. Um, and, and again, I think that's where the industry is going. Yeah, and we're getting towards the end of our time, so uh, a couple more questions as we wrap up. But one of the themes that's emerged from your career and through this conversation is disruption. Um, you, you were talking about disruption with the Cavaliers. You obviously started your own uh, or were part of the launch of a new agency. How, how do you think about disruption within your personal career in terms of 
the, the things that you did, even when you started out in terms of, you know, going the path potentially less traveled um, with your first job at the Chicago Theater. How, how do you think about disruption and how it's impacted your career? Well, you know, I, I'm not big on status quo. Uh, I, I like to set the bar high, achieve it, and then look to go, where can you go from there? Um, and, and that's one of the beauties of sports is sports is an amalgamation of embracing technology and community and creativity and marketing. And when there's a good idea in sports, the Philadelphia Phillies do something really cool. Everyone sees it. We all try and emulate it. And it's no longer an innovative new idea. It's now the baseline. That's what everybody has to do. So it, that's that's what what I love about our industry is you can't accept what you're doing because pretty soon it becomes yesterday's news and you constantly have to innovate and and look at social media and technology and societal norms and shifts uh, to really maximize your investments and it all comes back to you know one of your first questions it's it's an investment and we have to do more and more strategic, innovative things to optimize our investments, or we're not going to be able to get the maximum out of them because these investments every year, they're getting more and more expensive as well. So you, you have to constantly be looking for new ways to activate and new ways to, to gain that yield. Yeah. And, and just on that point about, I know you've talked about this a little bit already, but in terms of investments and excitement, what are the metrics you're looking for when you look for excitement or engagement, or what are the things that you look for, either quantitatively or qualitatively, to determine excitement and engagement? Well, there's a lot. I mean, we could probably have an hour conversation on that. <laughs> yeah. It goes back to what the client's trying to achieve. Yeah. In some cases, it could be how many people are showing up to an event. It could be how many new sales opportunities is a client getting. It could be how many people are watching the game. You know, we're, we're starting to do more and more performance metrics in a negotiation. So whether it's watch, engage, engage, listen, we, we want to know that people care. Um, so there's a lot to the metrics that we're looking at. How many people are, are, are looking at um, something that we're dropping in social media? How many people are sharing it? How long are they spending with it? Um, but all of those are part of what we're looking at to see if the right excitement level is there. And then the last question is, and this is a question we ask all of our guests, is, you know, obviously we're talking to uh, um, students in our audience. They're looking to get their first jobs or progress in the industry. So um, what recommendations do you have? And then also, you know, obviously you're in position to potentially hire students or hire people into the industry. So what do you look at from your perspective? And again, I, I obviously now asked you another multi-part question, so <laughs> happy for you to answer it however you want to answer it. So uh, it, it's important that students understand that when they interview and they're asked, well, why do you want to work here? Why do you want to work in the industry? What we don't want to hear is I played sports all, all growing up and through high school and college and I love sports and I watch every baseball game and I've got all the baseball cards. You know, you know I like to tell people, we're not hiring a second baseman for our softball team. <laughs> um, you asked earlier about, as an agency, what do we do? Our value proposition is we help to bring these partnerships to life. What I really encourage students to do is to be able to articulate their value proposition. Mm -hmm. what, what value can you bring to the organization? Our challenge as an organization, whether we're a team, a brand, an agency, is we have to provide value 
for these dollars. Um, I really encourage students to think about themselves as a brand and be able to articulate their brand story and their brand promise and their, their value proposition and their core capabilities. And then to be able to tell some quick stories that substantiate their brand story. I think that's really important because a lot of students come out and they talk about being a people person and, and being really detail oriented and I'm going to work really hard. Well, that should be everybody. So really be able to personify yourself as a brand in a unique and compelling way would be my advice. And from your perspective, what would be, uh, you, you've talked about a little bit, but a compelling brand story. If you were, you know, let's say interviewing for yourself, to a certain degree, what would you use yourself as a brand story? Well, what I would suggest people think about is to be able to articulate in an interview process, I want this job, here's why, here's why I would be successful, here's what I would do, as opposed to, I was talking to a woman who just graduated from a, a, a great sports business program um, yesterday. Um, and she was saying, well, I'm interviewing for this position, but I would do Y or Z or A or B just, and that's great. But when you're interviewing for that Y position, tell them why you'd be great in that role and why you want that role. Um, I, I would also encourage students, and you asked the question earlier about, and, and there's been a lot of interconnectedness in our conversation. You asked about disruption earlier. I encourage young people to be bold, be disruptive, come up with big ideas. Don't, don't wait to be asked for big ideas. Bring some big ideas, demonstrate your creativity, your strategic thinking, demonstrate that, that you, you can leverage the power of your mind. Um, I, I like when students are, are aggressive with their communications. Uh, I think that's a great place to leave it. Great recommendation. Tony, I want to thank you for being on the podcast and conversation. Thanks again for dealing with the multi-part questions the way you did. And we, we really appreciate you. My pleasure. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.